0: Grab your Bible. Go to Second Peter chapter one. The ugly sweater guy was right. It is hot in here. No, no church split already. All right, cool. Well, I win, and the air conditioners are running. So, hey, y'all, chill out. It ain't cold. Some of us, some of us, have red blood running through our veins. Yeah, Actually, here's the deal. The air conditioner's on on this side and the heat's on on this side. We make everybody happy, all right? We aim to please here at the Ridge Church. We're in 2 Peter chapter number one, and we're in a series entitled Steps. If you have been here for this thus far, uh, you are up to speed. If you're not, if you haven't been here thus far, you haven't missed anything, right? The good stuff is yet to come. So everything else has been fluff. And just preparation for what we're going to give you today. That's just to, so you don't feel bad not missing. But um, so the concept of this series is the concept of Second Peter chapter number one, which is basically that there comes a point in in our Christian journey when we have to become very intentional. Uh, about the way that we serve Christ. We, there has to come a point when we become very purposeful. Uh, we're going to read the text in just a moment, but really the introduction to the steps that we're, that we're covering, uh, it says giving all diligence, and then it begins to give us this addition, add to your faith, virtue to your virtue, knowledge to knowledge, temperance, and so forth. And so the statement giving all diligence means that, that we have to do it on purpose, Okay. Uh, very rarely do you get anything good in life by, by not being intentional about it, amen? Very few people just stumble into wealth. And, and those who do don't appreciate it and wind up squandering it 90% of the time, we just very rarely ever stumble into anything good. If we're gonna receive good in our lives, we've gotta do something for it, amen? I know that's kind of a crazy concept, But if we're going to get good in our life, we have to sow good. The Bible says, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So if you don't sow good seed, you're not going to reap a good harvest. And so we've got to become intentional about the way that we're living our lives. And and the the only thing you ever got in life that is absolutely free is the gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 100% free. Jesus died on the cross, paid the full price for our redemption. And you get that 100% free, no strings attached whatsoever. But if you want to live the fullness of the grace that God has come to give you and impart into your life, you've got to get to a point where you become intentional, where you get diligent about adding some things to your life. So we're taking these steps. And I want to walk you through some of them this morning. We'll review just a little bit and then get into some new material. So 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll start with verse number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, Simon Peter gives us the introduction to the human penman. We believe that the scriptures were given to us by God himself. The Bible says all scripture was given by inspiration of God, and so we understand that and believe that and accept that by faith. It's also uh, provable. Uh, The accuracy of the scriptures can be backed up uh, archaeologically, historically, uh, scientifically, but we believe it by faith today that God gave us his word, and so we just accept and receive that, and everything else that's added to that is a bonus right? Uh, so Simon Peter, verse 1, a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everyone in the room this morning has this singular thing in common, and that is we have obtained like precious faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. What that simply means is whether you're red, yellow, black, white, poor, born into a good family, born into a bad family, born into a great situation, born into a horrible situation, no matter what your background is, no matter what your pedigree is, no matter your family name, no matter your name, what you've done, where you've been, where you've gone, what you've experienced, the Bible says the ground is level at the foot of, Je- of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we've obtained light, precious faith. We have this one thing in common, that we've come to know Christ as our Savior. That means there's no big eyes, no little yous, no one's greater than the other, no No one's better than anybody else. We are all saved by the amazing grace of God. I've had people say things to me like, you know, preacher. I've never lived the life that you lived. I was never a drug addict. I was never an alcoholic. I was never uh, awesome like you are. I mean, they say things like this all the time. I'm hearing this stuff all the time. I've just I've never been as great and as strong and big and handsome. I hear this stuff. It's crazy. But the point is, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't. Listen, you could have been born into a Christian home. You could have been weaned on a church pew and never done any of those things that we consider to be the most horrendous uh, sins on the face of the earth, it doesn't make any difference. It took just as much of God's grace to save you as it took to save somebody like me. And so P- Peter says we have obtained like precious faith. And by the way, the, the faith that we live by is precious. Uh, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two, uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our, and, our, and, and of Jesus our Lord. So how do you get more grace and more peace in your life? You get to know God better grace and peace if you want grace and peace multiplied is that not what everybody's looking for don't we want to, don't we want more peace isn't that why people live to make money they make money so they can buy things because they think the things will give them a sense of contentment and peace when in, the, in reality at the end of the day uh, what you really need is a bigger boat and a bigger house and a nicer car and a fancier truck because you're, you're never satisfied because those things can never bring real peace. So what we're really looking for in life is peace. So how do we get to know more peace? You get to know God better. Grace and peace be multiplied to you uh, in the knowledge, knowing God, And of Jesus, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. I've seen rich people that were miserable. I've seen poor people that had joy that was indescribable. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, uh, God's divine power in verse number 3 has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need and everything that I need is contained not in a what but in a who, a man named Jesus Christ. So he said he's given us all things. Listen, if this is the pace we're going to keep today, y'all, we're going to be here a while because I haven't even got to the text, okay? So listen faster. You're not listening fast enough, and I've got to preach slow when you're listening slow So, verse three, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and God. I had a lot of time to pray over this text yesterday. I was pouring over the word in in prayer yesterday. Amen. Opening day of rifle season. (laughs) I was closer to God, about 25 feet closer. All right, 25 feet higher, tree stand, get it? All right, here we go. Verse four. Man, if I got to explain my jokes too, dude. It's going to be a long day. All right, so call us by glory and virtue, last part of verse 3. Verse 4, by which we have been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. You can get nothing greater from God than a promise from God because everything God says is going to happen. If God promises you something, you don't have to worry about it. You can go ahead and cash that check because he's good for it. So it says that God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, through these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he says all that lust, all that wanting more, all that all that dissatisfaction, all that discontentment, always desiring more, always wanting bigger and better and, and fancier and newer and more upgraded. Listen, we live in a world where honestly your cell phone is going to need an upgrade by the time you leave. Right? We're always needing upgrades and one of the next latest, greatest, greatest thing. So he said, look, what you're lacking through, through all these avenues that, you have, that you've explored, through trying all these different ways, you've tried to find joy and peace and contentment in relationships. You've tried to find joy and peace and contentment in your finances. You've tried to find joy and peace and contentment in things. And he says, you have experienced it enough to know at the end of the day that never brings genuine satisfaction. You're always wanting more. So he says, what I'm about to give you. Here's how important this is. He says, what I'm about to give you, I'm going to give it to you so that through these, these promises, you can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So when you come to this realization that nothing can really buy happiness, money doesn't buy happiness, right? I like that country song says, but it can buy a boat, right? And a boat would make me a little happy, but happiness comes and goes, don't it? I'm not saying things can't buy you happiness. We're not talking about happiness. Happiness is, is fluid. It moves. It changes. Makes What makes you happy today maybe doesn't make you happy tomorrow, right? So he said, I'm going to give you something that does not bring necessarily happiness, but brings you joy and peace and contentment. All right, here we are. Finally. Jeez. Verse 5. All right, here's what he says. So he says, but also... For this very reason, because you've come up short in every other area, he says, I want to give you the real deal. He says, For this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self control, to self control, perseverance, to fer- perseverance, uh, uh, to godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these are yours, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, why is it important that that we're never barren? Our fields are never bare, uh, and we're never unfruitful. Why is it why is it important that we're that we're never unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, he told us in verse number two, it's because through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's where we find grace and peace. So he said, if these things are in you and abound, he said, they'll make you that you'll never be fruitless. You'll never be barren uh, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse number nine, for he who lacks these things is short sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. From my perspective uh, as as a pastor, a preacher, a friend, just a Christian uh, living in the world, I really believe this is the major hang up with most Christians. I believe this I believe that there's some point in this journey of this series of steps. I believe there's some point in this series of steps where where Christians become short-sighted. That's actually what he's saying right there. He says if you lack these things, you'll become short-sighted even to blindness. You'll get to the point that you can't actually see the things that you need to be able to see because you didn't take the proper steps. You didn't add the right things into your life, so you become very short-sighted. How many of y'all have ever met a short-sighted Christian? Can't see past the nose on their face can't see the forest for the trees or any other analogies and uh, descriptions that you want to give. I think this is the major problem why Christians stop growing is because they get to the point that they think they've arrived, even though they would still say things like, I'm the worst sinner, I'm wicked and filthy and ungodly. They say stuff like that, but by the way they live, they get to this point that they sort of just pretend like they've gotten to, you know, a level that they don't need to ascend from now. Let me just go ahead and burst your bubble. Is that okay? If you think you is, you ain't. If you think you've arrived, you're at the wrong destiny. Because what you think you know, you don't know half of what you know. You don't even know what you don't know. You don't even know all the questions yet, much less the answers. Because whenever you get to a point that you think you've really gotten a grasp on who God is, there's so much more to him than what you you could ever imagine. So don't ever get to a point that you think, man, I got this. No, you don't. Nope, you do not, because the Bible tells us that whatever we think we know, there's so much greater knowledge to be attained. Concerning God, we serve a God who's omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all the time. He's all knowledge, he's all power. And if you think you've got him figured out, you are wrong, wrong, wrong. So we're gonna take some steps today. We've talked about adding to your faith Virtue, someone walk you through these. Add to your faith, virtue. That's the first step. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you have to have faith. Faith is the foundation of everything that we do, everything that we are as believers. I said a moment ago concerning the scriptures, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. Some people nitpick and and sort of pluck out what the well, I believe that, I don't believe that. I just believe it all. Call me ignorant. I don't care. I believe that God parted the waters with Moses. I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I believe if the Bible said that the waters parted Moses and Jonah swallowed the whale, i believe it. You know what I'm saying? I believe Jesus walked on the water. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe he lived 33 and a half sinless years on the earth. I believe that he died of propitiation every day. That's a big word for a redneck. I believe he died a substitutional death. For our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day. I believe it all. All right. Now now history backs this up. Archaeology backs this up. S- true science, by the way, backs up the Bible. But I don't need all that. That's all, that's all benefit. That's all bonus. That's all extra. I believe God's Word because I just decided to one day. And if you don't believe it, you decided not to believe it. And it's not because there's more evidence on the other side and less evidence on the side that I'm standing on. It's just because you chose to believe what you believe in. You say, well, scientific evidence proves. No, it don't. You've never witnessed evolution. It's not science if it's not observational. Now I lost y'all, didn't I? It's not scientific if you can't write a formula and redo it. It's not scientific if you can't observe it taking place. It's not science. It's a philosophy. It's a faith, but it's not science. All right. Well, I feel like I just wrecked some of y'all. All you okay? Can't see past these life. Are you smiling still? So add to your faith virtue. Faith is the very beginning of everything we are. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So first point, add to your faith virtue. We call that demonstrable faith or faith that can be demonstrated. Point number two, add to your virtue knowledge. We call that definable faith. Okay, You ought to be able to define what you believe in. You may not be eloquent. You may not be good with words. You may not be a linguist, but you ought to be able to at least explain to somebody why you believe what you believe at least on a fundamental level right man it's going to get it's going to get uncomfortable in here i don't get nervous so if anybody's going to get nervous it's going to be you all right So just follow along. If you disagree, we can debate it later. But you've got to add to your virtue knowledge. You've got to be able to define your faith. Explain to somebody why you believe what you believe. If we're talking about eternal things, I think it's pretty important that you be able to explain that. Right? Explain it. And then we said add to your knowledge self-control. We call that disciplined faith. Add to your knowledge self-control. I said a moment ago I believe that this is where most believers, most Christians— uh, get caught up is they reach a certain point in the journey and then they just stop right there, right? I think this is where most believers stop. They are satisfied with, the, with attaining knowledge, right? They get some knowledge. They, they, they accumulate some knowledge. They hear some preachers say some things. They read their Bible and they find a few little nuggets of truth in God's Word and they stop with the knowledge and they begin using the knowledge as a sword to destroy people. I see this, all if you get on Facebook, you'll find out like in, a, in real time what I'm talking about right here. People destroying people. Well, you know what the Bible says about it. Like God needs them as, as his defense attorney. Like God's on trial and he needs you to step up, right? Like Croftman and Townsley just defend him. He needs you to step in and say, hey, look, God don't need a defense attorney. And, and we should be defender, defenders of the faith. We ought to know what we believe and be able to stand for what we believe in and not be moved. But on the same token, God never gave you truth. God never gave me truth to use as a sword to destroy people's lives. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy lives. I didn't come to bring destruction to people's lives. I came so that you could be made whole. I didn't come to give you religion. I came to bring you into a relationship with your creator. I didn't come uh, to, to to bear down on you. Jesus said, I came to lift you up. So most Christians get some knowledge and they begin using that knowledge in, in, in like an abrasive, aggressive way. And look, sometimes the truth does hurt. And if you come to this church, you're probably gonna get your feelings hurt at some point because the truth is gonna hurt. The truth hurts me, right? When you look the truth, dead square in the eyeball, and you let God examine your heart and your life by the truth of his word, it is a little painful. But it's not your place as a Christian to make other people uncomfortable with the truth just because you've attained some knowledge. Well, I know what the Bible says. Well, somebody give you a ribbon, please, because I got enough Bible knowledge to mess all y'all up this morning. It's not about messing up lives with the truth. God's given us knowledge so that we can help people with it. I know it's kind of cliche because we've said it so much, but nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. It's about building relationships with people where you have the rapport with them that you can share truth into their lives. But you standing on a street corner waving a sign, turn or burn, repent or perish, y'all are going to drop dead and go to hell, that's not changing anybody. All right, there's my little hobby horse for the morning. Add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control. So God said learn to be disciplined in your faith. Know how to speak with wisdom. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to aptly apply knowledge, knowing when to share a truth, knowing when to share a verse of Scripture, knowing what to say and when to say it, how to say it. So he says add to your faith, virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control. Learn how to be temperate self-controlled in what you uh, teach and believe and share with other people. I want to say a lot about self-control this morning, but I dealt with that already. I did a series a while back called uh, The Church Says Versus The Bible Says. And I shared some things that, that's been taught in church versus what God's Word actually says about it. And I took some extreme things that have been taught uh, that, 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 that I've heard preachers say, that I said in the early days of my ministry that guys, man, people still get up and preach and proclaim all the time. But you know why? Let me, let me defend them for a little while. You know why preachers preach against some of the things they preach against? Because people lack self-control. So if, so if you get up and say, hey, God's Word says it's okay to do this and that in moderation, you got people out there, woo, preacher said it's okay, you know, Ugh. and so man, some guys just said, "Hang this! I'm gonna just preach so hard against it. They think they're gonna slip off in hell if they even think about it, right? It's self. It's it's easier to preach extreme things." like to make a big issue out of things that God didn't make a big issue out of. It's, it's easier to take a really strong stand on certain things rather than get up and say, you know what, be filled with the Spirit and let the Spirit guide your heart and your life and be temperate and self-controlled by letting God take control of your heart and even your mind and your body. Like, see, that's hard to do. It is. It's easier just to go, well, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and you're wrong if you do that, 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 and that. And you're right if you do this, 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 and this. It's easier to do that. It's easier for people to live by a list than for people to die to themselves and be filled with the Spirit. But dying to yourself and being filled with the Spirit is actually what God has called upon us all to do. All right, self-control, whatever. I, see, I knew y'all couldn't handle that. I knew you couldn't handle that. Discipline faith. <laughs> Kim's all offended up here. I ain't ever coming back this church. It was cold in there. He preached on stuff I didn't like. Self-control. Just kidding. I wouldn't mess with her if I knew she couldn't handle it. She don't get offended like our buddy over here with the ugly sweater on. (laughs) Self-control. Add to your self-control. Perseverance. Last Sunday we talked about determined faith. You've got to get determined in your faith. Golly, we got to hurry. Let me give you this. All right. Today, look at the next thing. It says add to your perseverance. So to your determination. Add to your determination, your determined faith. Add to your perseverance godliness now here's where it starts to get deep thus far it's been pretty easy but here's where it gets a little bit difficult in fact even just the word godliness is actually kind of hard to define seriously look it up look up the word godliness in the webster's dictionary or smith's dictionary or any of those bible dictionaries that you might use and the word godliness is kind of hard to define what does it mean to be godly well Uh, godly, again I'm not a linguist by any means if my freshman English teacher was here today she'd tell you that but uh, I say freshman because I didn't go past ninth grade But, uh, but, but but when you find the word L-Y at the end of a word it means like right so if you were to say if you were to use a word like take the word man and put L-Y at the end man, manly, manly means to act like a man y'all follow so far i'm telling you it's like eighth grade english no it's it's further back than that i can't remember very good it was been like five years since i've been in school uh man manly manly means you act like a man so god godly you put ly on the end of god godly means to act like god right by the way for a man to act like god does not mean that that man stops being manly Nothing spiritual about a man acting effeminate. Manly, godly, womanly, nothing wrong with that. God created you in his likeness and image, right? Designed you the way that you are. So godly means to act like God, which, which really, it feels like a tall order, doesn't it? Act like God, be like God, be godly, act in a manner that, in which God would act godly seems like, a, like an impossible thing to do until you consider this, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. I want you to see this. So Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 24. You got my verses ready? I'm going to skip it. We ain't got time. Five, four, three, two. I'm skipping it. So Colossians chapter number 1. I'm going to read it to you, but you won't see it on the screen. You can turn there in your Bible if you want to. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Church is important. Which is his body. It's the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to, the, to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, okay? Here's the great mystery. Oh, there we are. Here's the great mystery uh, that, that was hidden from ages and generations, okay? Ages and generations is a reference to the historical context of being a believer. Like in the Old Testament dispensation, uh, under the Old Testament dispensation, to be a believer meant that you kept the law, you followed the ordinances, you kept the sacrifices, the washings, the feast days, the holy days, the high days. That's what it meant to be a believer in the Old Testament. Now, certainly they did those things by faith. I don't have time to unpack all that, but the Bible does say that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So they were saved by grace through faith in the same way that we are today in the New Testament. They were saved that way in the Old Testament, but to have a right standing with God, a right relationship with God, they had to keep ordinances, sacrifices, laws, feast days, high days, holy days. They had to go to the temple. They had to sacrifice animals. They had to do all of these things. So he says, I'm about to share something with you that was a mystery during that time. Under the Old Testament dispensation, under the Old Testament banner, the covering of the Old Covenant, he said, what I'm about to share with you was a mystery. It was something that they could not look into. They could not understand. Their mind could not comprehend. He said, what I'm about to tell you was a mystery then. He says, but now it's been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles. Gentile, if you're not a Jew in the room this morning, if you're not a Jew, please raise your hand. Seriously, y'all are Jews? Your hands are down, you're Jews. Which tribe? Benjamin, Asher, Gad, Manasseh, which one? If you're, so let's do this again. If you're not a Jew, raise your hand. There you go, that means you're a Gentile. So whoever's not a Jew is a Gentile, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Hispanic, whether, what, are there other nationalities in the world? I don't know, whatever. Uh, no matter where you come from in the world, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So he says this stuff, all these things were a mystery to the Jewish people. Among the Gentiles, this was completely unknown, but here's, here's the mystery. The mystery is Christ in you. So, in the Old Testament, they understood what it was for God to be with them. They understood what it was for the Spirit to come on them. The Old Testament prophets, when they prophesied, the Bible says that the Spirit of God would come on them. He would, he would come up on them and anoint their hearts and their minds. He would come on them and, and give them the ability to prophesy and speak the words of God. So they understood what it was for God to be with them. They understood what it was for God to be on them. But what they couldn't understand in the Old Testament is what it means for Christ to be in you. And this is the covenant of the New Testament. This is why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross to cleanse us of our sin. And now he says your body is the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost which is in you. And you're not your own for you've been bought with a price. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So here's the divine mystery that was, re- that was, that was not revealed in ages and generations past. The mystery is Christ in you. Which is the hope of glory if Jesus is not in you you are not going to glory You're not going to heaven Because it's not about your goodness and it's not about your religion and it's not about your own self-righteousness It's about what Jesus did on the cross And that's why he said I am the way I'm the truth and I'm the life No man comes to the father But by me you've got to receive Christ into your heart to be born again into the family of God And that's what it means to be a Christian And so here's the great mystery The mystery is not that God merely dwells among us. And the mystery is that God does not merely sporadically and at different times come upon us and inspire us to do things. The mystery is that God, the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, God came to live inside of you. And this is the great mystery. This is the hope of glory. This is what makes the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. We don't live in a dispensation where God comes and goes. We live in a dispensation where he says, I will be in you and live with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Good days, I'm going to be with you. Bad days, I'm going to be with you. When you're successful, I'll be right there. When you fail, I'll be right there. When you stand, I'll be right there. When you fall, I'll be there to pick you up. He said, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the world. And so here's the great mystery of godliness, that Christ is in you. And that's called the hope of glory. So when we consider what it means to be godly, God with an L-Y, to act like God, god to be like him it's a daunting task until we understand the fact that he already lives here and now all i have to do is become transparent enough where he can begin to live through me see he's he's in here we say things like this to the children ask jesus into your heart It's a good thing to say because the Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I'm not at all going to criticize that statement. I think it's a good statement. Ask Jesus into your heart. But we don't know the exact geographical region that he lives, but we know that he lives inside of us. His spirit dwells in us. When you look into the eyes of of a believer, you are in part looking into the eyes of God because God lives inside the believer. That does not mean that the believer is perfect, but it does mean that the believer has been forgiven of their sins and found redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. That same like precious faith that Simon Peter talked about in the early part of chapter number one, that that precious faith is abiding in the heart of everyone who is called on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So every time you look into the eyes of a blood-bought child of God, you are looking God in the face. In the sense that God loved that individual enough to give his only begotten son to die on a cross, a morbid, horrible death for their sins. He loved them so much that he come to live inside of them. And now when you look at them, he wants you to treat them the way you would treat him if he was walking in their flesh. Because he is. And that's why as God's people, we ought to treat people with each other with kindness and with love and with mercy. Because each and every one of us are the tabernacle, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right, And by the way, you've never looked a human being in the eyes that God is not willing to forgive that individual of their sins and come and take residence in their lives as well. So godliness, to be more like God, means this. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So understand this, when Jesus came to the earth, Jesus did not cease to be God. That baby that was conceived in Mary's virgin womb, he never stopped being God, even as an embryo. He was was born of the Spirit of God. As a little baby in Bethlehem, he was God. As a little boy growing up in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Galilee, he was God. As a grown man performing miracles, healing blinded eyes, raising the dead back to life, he was still God. Jesus never ceased being God. That's why the Bible says without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus is and was and always has been God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. In him, Jesus was the life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. So we understand that Jesus is fully God, and yet he was fully human on this earth. God became a man, right? God became a human being. God took upon himself the form of a servant. Let this mind Be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation. Jesus never stuck his chest out and demanded worship. Jesus never demanded his rights. Even when he was arrested, falsely accused, put on a mock trial, lied about, he never one time demanded his rights. The Bible says as a lamb, he opened not his mouth. So being in the form of God, did not think it robbery would be equal with God, made himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. How do we become more like God? How do we become godly? We become more like Jesus, and that means we become less like ourselves. To become godly means that the reflection that I see in my life, I want that reflection to look less like me and more like him. That means that what I'm most concerned about is not that people see me and give me credit and see me and recognize who I am. It's not that I want people to to praise me and give me accolades. It's not that I I do it to, to receive recognition. To be more like God means that I don't make a reputation of myself, but I do make a whole lot of him. And I do want to make much of Jesus and I do want to lift up his name and I do want to draw attention to him. So to become godly means I become more like Christ. To be more like Christ means I become more like a servant and less like a king. To be more like Jesus means I look less like me and I look more like him. That's what it means by definition, to be godly. So he says, add to your self-control. Add to your temperance, to your self-control, to your perseverance. He said, add to these things godliness. Godliness. And We're going to call this dynamic faith since we're we're alliterating the outline. Dynamic faith is when you learn to operate with your motivation being to be more like God, godliness, godly, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our prayer this morning should be, every believer's prayer should be, God, let me look more like Jesus every day. Let me look more like Jesus every day. By the way, this is the whole theme of the scriptures. Getting to know God. Listen to me. You naturally emanate and imitate. Those emulate. (laughs) I knew I was looking for the different word. You naturally emulate. What was the first word I said? Emit or something crazy? Y'all don't know your English either, do you? Back to vocabulary. Vocabulary. You naturally try to emulate and imitate those that you have the most respect for. Everybody does it. I don't care who you are, whatever your vocation, whatever your hobby, whatever it is, you have people that you look up to. you, You try to emulate. Even without trying, we naturally emulate emulate those that we have the most respect for. Listen to me. When we come to a point in our lives when we have nothing but holy honor and reverence for who God is, and when we live in in a condition, in a state of mind, just being in awe of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we will naturally begin to look more like him. And that's what it means to be godly. So he says, add to your faith, virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, patience. Become persistent. Get determined in your Christian life. But you've got to add to that. You can have all the determination in the world, all the knowledge in the world, all the self-control in the world. You can have all of that. But if you don't come out looking more like Jesus, it's all in vain. Because the goal of our hearts as believers should be to emulate Christ is and by the way what he's doing in our lives today. That's what makes God's word different than any other book on the face of the earth because though it contains history, it's not a history book. Though it contains scientific fact, it's not a science book. Though it contains philosophical truth, it's not a book of philosophy. It's a living book and God's word is will so transform you that the Spirit of God in you begins to live out the Word on a daily basis through you. And that's what it means to become godly. It's not just attaining knowledge. It's actually attaining the mind of Jesus and beginning to think like he thinks and view people the way he views them and operate the way he operates. That will fully, fundamentally revolutionize who we are as believers. We learn to emulate Christ.